good. Uh, can we just have that last, that heal my heart and make it clean? I find these things hard to sing, I have to say. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're reading 1 John. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you've loved me. That's, that's massive, isn't it? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. So we're going to read from 1 John. And uh, it's a really difficult book. Because it's so straight. And yet it's so loving. (laughs) Um, So Pete Evans is just going to read various extracts from it. So I don't want you to follow it, actually. Because it would be too difficult. Because I've asked him to just pick bits out. Um, I'd like to read the whole thing. And then actually not say anything. But that may not help everybody. So I will be saying something. So Pete's just going to read various extracts from 1 John. So just let, shut your eyes if you want, but listen to it. Yeah, just listen. I keep forgetting I need to take my to read. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which was seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we heard from him And declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. 
This old command is the message you have heard. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let not us love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not does not know God sorry whoever does not love does not know God because God is love this is how God showed his love among us 
He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that, the love that God, sorry, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the, on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Great. Thanks, Pete. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? Um, John was an interesting man. He, uh, he was a fisherman. Uh, on the men's weekend, actually, Dave explained a bit about him. said he was like a kind of coal miner of today, probably. We think, you know, he talks a lot about love. But he was some kind of soppy, sort of fluffy person. But actually, he was called the son of thunder. And I think probably he was a very difficult character, which is perhaps why he appreciated love so much. He was the son of Zebedee, and uh, his mother was called Salome. His brother was called James. And as I say, he was nicknamed the Son of Thunder. And he wrote in John's Gospel, which he also wrote, uh, obviously he wrote John's Gospel, um, he called himself the one who Jesus loved. I wonder if he felt very unlovable, which is why he could write so freely about how much God had loved him and how much, therefore, we need to love each other. And it's a, such a challenging book because he's so straight. He's a fisherman talking like it is. I'm not very good at that, as you may know. I'm a bit polite. Um, I'm even looking smart today. But the person who asked me to wear a jacket isn't even here. So, 
that was a waste of time. <laughs> but I'm, my prayer, well, I'll pray it. God, shine your light into our lives so that we really do see ourselves as you see us. That's a big ask, but we mean it. Because we want to be the kind of people you have created us to be and saved us to be and long for us to be individually and together. So speak, God, I pray today. Put your plumb line amongst us. Amen. So he followed Jesus. He was originally a follower of John Baptist, and then he followed Jesus, and he walked the road with him. He saw him heal people. He saw him rebuke people. He saw him tell stories. He saw him being despised. He saw him transfigured on that mountain. He saw him crucified. He saw him alive again. (laughs) And when he saw him in the book of Revelation, when he describes a dream where he saw Jesus, he said, I fell at his feet as dead. Because Jesus was so much more than he'd ever imagined. And you kind of get that impression in this book. He's trying to say, this God is so much more than we've ever imagined. And his love is so much more magnificent than ever we thought. And his demands on our lives are so much more huge than ever we considered. This was written towards, probably towards the end of his life. He was an elderly man, about AD 90, they think. But he didn't put a date on it, which was a bit inconsiderate, really. <laughs> so, he starts, that which was from the beginning. And a lot of the letter refers right back to the beginning. It's looking at the whole creation story. It's looking at who God is. He talks all about light and dark. He talks about walking with God, like in the Garden of Eden. He talks a lot about sin. He talks a lot about God being three in one. Well, he puts it, look, God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. It's all in there. It's like from the beginning. And he's walked with this man, Jesus, and he's concluded this was God himself. All that's written in the Torah, all that's written in the Old Testament, somehow it lived in this man, this person, this Jesus, and we're invited into fellowship with him. It's no wonder he talks straight, and yet, wow. So that's why there's a plumb line here. Because there's a feast for us to come in to the presence and fellowship with Jesus. And at the same time, there are standards and demands. In terms of our journey as a church, for those of you who come here regularly, you know that we're having a lot of conversations at the moment about the way ahead and stuff like that. And I just want to make a plea that we never lose sight of what this is all about. Because it's not about us at all. We're just here. God is who he is. And we are to align ourselves with him. Isn't that right? Somehow we think it's our church. What a travesty. What an awful thing to think. When God has died to win a bride for himself and invited us into that. So as we do all the thinking, please, by the grace of God, let us be worshipful in it and keep God central. He's the one who's Lord of all. He's
He's the one who walks amongst the churches through the eons of time. He's the one who knows everything about us, individually and corporately. He's the one who rejoices, who grieves, who weeps, who dances (laughs) over his church and over the lost that he longs to see saved. We fall at his feet as dead. Let's not forget that. And he's the one who's still speaking. I pray that we'll hear his voice. Because he is speaking. And then we, and I'm praying for you and for me, that we have courage then to say what we hear and share it together. Because that's what this is all about, isn't it? Fellowship. So, that's the key verse for this morning. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. Not a word you use every day in the office. (laughs) What is it? The Pocket Oxford Dictionary, that's about as far as I get with the English language, says, a friendly association with others, body of associates, position or income of fellow of college or learned society. Stipend granted to graduate for period of research. Some kind of God's club, then. Something you're invited to join as a privilege? This kind of fellowship of the saints? Is that what it is? Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I trained as a surveyor. And uh, I became an associate of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. I had to pass exams, prove I knew my stuff, and then I had to prove I had a good track record, show myself worthy of being invited to be a fellow of that great institution of charter surveyors. I was invited into the fellowship. It sounds awfully like church as it shouldn't be, doesn't it? (laughs) So what is fellowship then? Thank God it's not that. (laughs) Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, so no doubt someone will correct me. But the word that's used is koinonia, which comes from the word koinos, which means common. And it means to share in common. That's fairly straightforward. So it's not some certificate you have to earn and have good behavior. To share in common. And when I was at college, I was invited to go to a fellowship by this really nice guy. Now, I'd never heard of what a fellowship was. I was just a student, and I'd been a good Anglican up till then. Well, actually, I wasn't a good Anglican, but I was brought up as an Anglican. (laughs) He said, "Um, come along. We go to a house fellowship, and we have elders. And uh, I was terrified. I really was so nervous. I thought, what on earth is a house fellowship? And what are elders? I really thought that elders were kind of wizened old men, a bit like, I don't know, they'd they'd go to Glastonbury or something, and they'd have long white beards, and they'd sit there muttering. And uh, what what happened at this place? Um, Yeah, I was quite scared. My parents actually thought it might be a sect. They were quite worried for me, I think. So I went there. I was scared. And it blew my mind. Fellowship means to share in common. And when we read in Acts of the first church, 
there were a group of people who had a transforming encounter with God himself. And it so impacted them and turned their world upside down, they gave up everything to follow God. And they shared everything that they had with others. Like that song, Everything. They shared it with others who were seeking the same thing and they used it to bless other people with what God, to tell them what God was like. And when I went to this house fellowship, that's exactly what I discovered. I'd never heard of it, never seen it. But I met a committed bunch of people who'd been touched by God and found other like-minded people who were prepared to give up everything to know more about God and prepared to give up everything to share their lives together and to bless other people with that knowledge. And I mean everything. (laughs) Committed the time, resources, energy, relationships. We met regularly, Tuesdays, Thursdays, all day Sunday, to worship, to pray, for teaching, to play football, to eat, lots of eating. We did DIY together. We painted people's houses together. We shared cars together. We shared money together. And I I long for those days. I do. I long for it. But the main thing in common was not doing those things. It was God himself. I think, I'm sure I've said before, when we used to go to gather on a Sunday, we used to go with a sense of trembling because we knew God was there. We came prepared. And if we didn't feel right with God, we got right with God individually and then went thinking, what is God going to say to me today? Because I want to move on. I want to know him more. I want to give more to him. It was scary. (laughs) And wonderful. (laughs) Because you knew there was a God and a bunch of people who accepted you just as you were and loved you to bits and would help you out. Mm. So, 1 John. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so you may have fellowship with us. That's kind of what I've just said, isn't it? That's what I discovered, these people who had fellowship. He then goes on and says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what does sharing in common with God mean? (laughs) In the beginning... As John says, in the beginning, God shared everything with man. They walked together in the garden, didn't they? They communed together. God shared his creation with Adam. Adam shared God with himself. It was a walk. It was a relationship. It was being together. It must have been amazing. They were in fellowship until Adam thought, and Eve thought, we can do better than this. Not sure we want God quite like this. And they walked away from it. And so did we. So Jesus Christ has come to call us back into that place. And one of the words that repeats itself in 1 John is walk, live, abide, if you read a different version. It's all about communion, which is another way that this word koinonia is translated. It's all about communion, all about relationship with God, 
And it's got to spill over into relationship with each other's in relationship with each other in the church. It's got to. It's just impossible not to. It has to. And that's what this table's here for. Because every time we break bread, which we're not doing today, but every time we do it, we're to remember what Jesus has done. Because he paid a massive sacrifice to invite us back into that place that we'd messed up, that we'd rejected God. So he, I can't describe it, I can't understand it actually, I I struggle. (laughs) How can God come down to our level and invite us back into fellowship? When we're just humans, we're just a dot, our life's like a vapour, and yet God of the universe, of the galaxies, of creation, wants you and me to be in relationship with him. It, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? So he says, but he says, come. I was broken for you. I shed my blood for you. There is no sin, nothing that needs stop you coming back into communion, fellowship, having things in common with God. Fact. So John says this lots of times in his letter. He says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. See what great love the Father's lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and and that is what we are. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son a sacrifice for our sins. So, if sharing, if fellowship in this church I experienced when I was at college was sharing everything in common, and if that's what fellowship with God is like, that all that God is is for you to enjoy, but all that you are is for God to enjoy, that's the twist, isn't it? That's the twist. And what does that look like? Well, walking with God in fellowship with him. Does it mean everything goes fine? Of course it doesn't. (laughs) And again, in 1 John, this theme comes through. It's knowing the anointing of the Spirit. It's knowing when times are tough that God is with you. That's what it means. If you read the last chapter of John's Gospel, so John's written all about Jesus' life. We then get to the last chapter, and it's all about um, after the resurrection, and Peter comes along, and I think he's probably fed up, doesn't know what to do next. He really doesn't know what to do. Jesus is resurrected. Okay, now what? He says, I'm going fishing. (laughs) We can be fishing around for things all our lives, can't we? I'm going fishing. And Jesus comes into that moment, not in rebuke, but he puts a table on the beach, so to speak, and says, come back into fellowship, Peter. I know you've messed up. (laughs) I know you've let me down. But come back into fellowship. What a promise. And part of the promise which Peter stepped back into was, Jesus said to him, when you were young, you did what you wanted. But when you're old, people are going to carry you where you don't want to go. Peter still stepped into that because he knew that God was with him. Wow. That's fellowship, isn't it? It's not ease. It's knowing you're walking with God. And God is walking with you. So, 
If that's what God has done, it's like John is beside himself to say, then how should we be with each other? And it kind of gets, I nearly said the word boring, I don't mean the boring, it's so repetitive about loving your brother and your sister, doesn't it? It's kind of over the top. (laughs) Clearly, John really meant it. If God is so generous to us, then it stands to reason we ought to be generous with other people. (laughs) This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I find that a constant challenge to me. I I think it is to us. We're very good at words, aren't we? We're all pretty intelligent here. (laughs) Depends how you measure it, doesn't it? But action. Hmm. There's a good story, isn't there, about two brothers in the New Testament that Jesus told about loving your brother. It's called the prodigal son. I expect we all know the story. Um, I won't say hands up if you don't, because that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I guess we know the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to assume you do. In outline, it's the story of two brothers. It's in the context of other parables about being lost. So it's about something getting lost. And in this one, it's about the father losing a son. The younger son was a rebel. He asked for his inheritance, which at those days was a third of what the father owned. He took it, went off and blew it, did what he wanted, and then realized that he had nothing. And he wanted to go back to the father again. He felt awful, desperately sorry, but knew that if he went back, he wasn't owed anything because he'd blown it. But the father, not only had him back, longed for him back. His other brother, the older brother, was furious. And it says this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to the welcoming party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, notice, who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. That was fellowship. The potential for fellowship was there. Everything I have is yours. Who was the lost son? It was the elder brother, wasn't it? We don't know whether he ever entered back into fellowship with his father. The story ends with a bit of a question mark. (laughs) The young son came back, but the older son, the religious, the good one, we don't know. I think it was meant to be like that. You see, it would have cost the elder son, because all the father had was now his. So throwing a party would have cost him too. There's a very good book called The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller. I don't know how many of you have read it. 
It's a, I can thoroughly recommend it. It's a good book, and it looks at the prodigal son. Well, that's why he calls it the prodigal father. <coughs> prodigal meaning extravagant, wasteful. That's what God is. To truly become Christians, he's talking about the older brother. To truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we did everything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins. But Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness, too. We must learn how to repent of the sin under all our other sins. The sin of seeking to be our own Saviour and Lord. We must admit that we've put our ultimate hope and trust in things other than God. And that in both our wrongdoing and rightdoing, we've been seeking to get around God or get control of God in order to get hold of those things. It's only when you see the desire to be your own saviour, lying beneath your sins and your moral goodness, that you're on the verge of understanding the gospel and becoming a Christian indeed. When you realise that the antidote to being bad is not being good, you're on the brink. If you follow it through, it'll change everything. How you relate to God, yourself, others, the world, work, sins, virtue, it's called new birth because it's so radical. (laughs) The other things that John seems to emphasise are love and light. John is so uncompromising. There's no 15-watt God. We were looking at a little lamp in the office earlier, and it's a pretty feeble light. Well, lamp for your feet, Mark called it, which was quite good. (laughs) God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And again, I understand that the, the, the word used for darkness, the kind of the root of it, is also used to mean to cover something, which makes sense, doesn't it? Back in the beginning again, back to Genesis, when things went wrong, it was all about covering, wasn't it? Hiding from God, covering nakedness, keeping out of God's light. You cannot say that you're living in relationship with God and be hiding something from him. That's what John says. You cannot. You're a liar, John would say. It's tough, isn't it? You cannot. Here's a couple of examples. I was reading a little meditation this week on um, Mark 12, and it says, Jesus beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And the comment was, I wonder how many of us would feel a bit embarrassed if Jesus beheld how we cast our money into the treasury. <laughs> he, the word means he watched because he wanted to get something out what was going on. Isn't that amazing? I'll bet the woman with her might didn't know that Jesus was watching. All the rich people who threw in lots of coins. But Jesus was watching. I'm not pleading for your money. Please, no way, no way, and nor is the church. But somehow money is precious to us because Jesus talks a lot about it. (laughs) A lot more than he talks about sex or homosexuality or some of these big things that we all get up on our high horses about. Money is one of the biggest things. 
I often wonder what it would be like if my finances were displayed on the screen up there for everyone to see. What would I feel? Sharing in common? God does know. He really does. And it's interesting in Acts 5 that he had this amazing sharing everything in common going on. This new church. And then there were a couple who lied about money. And God slew them. Because it was such an insult to his character. And sacrificial living. I'm going to tell a story. Not sure whether to include it or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was a minister who was seeking to ensure a particular needy person was getting all the help possible in terms of ministry. Practical administration, dealing with local authorities, etc. And there was progress. He wasn't a particularly easy person. And there was a need that occasionally this person should have the opportunity to go to someone else's house for a meal, just so they're not locked in themselves. The minister mentioned this to a few folk from the church. And the reply was given, oh, well, we pay you to do that. You're the minister. What do you think? It's very close to home. The forum meetings have had a theme that has come through. And it is this need for repentance. And um, I think that's really interesting. So in the little group I was in, the last one, uh, it came up there. I didn't raise it. And so the question was asked, well, repent of what? Which I think is such a good question. (laughs) Because it's easy to say we need to repent, isn't it? Like we tick a box. And the person replied, it was Stu actually, he said, um, for not taking God seriously. I think that's amazing. I think, God, I long for us to take you seriously. I long that I take you seriously. And this fellowship with God, we need revelation, don't we? I guess. We've got to believe some things, but we also need revelation. God has done everything for us. Everything. He has given everything to win back us to him. Jesus didn't come to a cross so that trees could grow better or that something about creation could be adjusted. adjusted. He came back so that you and I could be in relationship with God himself. That's what it's all about. This whole story of redemption is for you and me. And it costs God everything. Amazing. And the invitation is there. Come, eat, drink. Come back into a walk with me so that you know me, says God. So that every day you can walk with me. You may not know my presence all the time, but I am with you to the end of the age. Come thick or thin. I will guide you when you're up against it. I'll encourage you when you're being persecuted. I'll stand with you when you're in prison for your faith. I'll be there. And then one day when it's all over and you meet me face to face at that time of measuring, of judgment, which again John talks about, you'll know that we walk together. And we're now in eternity together. I long for that.
but we have to come up to the measure. I do believe that. And I think this is a season for this church where there is a plumb line. It came in Amos, didn't it? And we're listening to these minor prophets, and it's strong stuff. We have to say, God, can I take you seriously? I will take you seriously. I'll wait on you. I'll pray. I'll get up in the night. I'll talk to other people. I'll be serious. Because <laughs> God's serious. The wonder of it. He's serious with us. And then John finishes by this little phrase, keep yourselves from idols. What a funny thing to say at the end of this letter. Keep yourselves from idols. Well, he hasn't talked about idolatry, has he? <laughs> Did he talk about statues and images? What's an idol? A likeness. Something false. A powerless thing. And I guess John was saying, don't go for something plastic. <laughs> don't take an imitation that isn't the real thing. When there's life here, God's given everything here, please don't settle for something less. <laughs> Keep yourself from idols. All for Jesus. We sung it earlier. All for him. I don't want to say. It's an invitation, really, because I believe that God so wants you and me to be in fellowship with him. You may be already, and that's fine. But that is his heart. It's broken for you and for me. Come on in. Come on in. But ask yourself the question. Count the cost. Make it real. Let's not just talk about things. Let's act. Micah 6, 8. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. All I once held dear. How does it go? From, built my life upon... I can't remember the rest of it. Oh, actually, I've got it in there. I think it's in here. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. <laughs> Come on in. Get to know him. He wants to know you. I'll pray. Lord, your spirit and life. I've spoken words. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, breathe into our lives true life.
Spirit. You yourself, God, make us truly live for you and for others who don't know you yet. God, come, I pray. Do more than we can ever imagine or ask or think. Because you have paid the price. You've done everything necessary. And you're asking for ordinary people to say, yes, God. So here we are. Yes, God. Amen.